0: Welcome to MintCast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. From the recently thawed, th- thawed South, I'm Joe.
1: ipsum dolor sit amet, Norbert. I had no better idea.
2: From the land of no sale, I'm Moss. From the currently freezing
0: Midwest, I'm Bill. This is episode 379.5, recorded on Sunday the 23rd of January. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. In our entered section, we talk about how much security is enough. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. Okay, this week in our Linux Innerds, we are talking general security practices for Linux users, and maybe some pro tips. Boss, you're up first. Well,
3: I'm up first because I'm probably the least security conscious person here, similar to most newbies. I make sure the firewall is turned on. I've gone back and checked some of the uh distros I've installed places and found out that I don't have it turned on so I try and make sure the firewall is turned on and I don't play games I'm very cautious about opening uncertain emails got a good spam filter and all that on top of that I do have surfshark surfshark VPN and I usually run it as a plugin in firefox Although I also use it on my Pi 4 running Ubuntu Mate 20.04 before opening Kodi and its plugins, I recommend using a VPN at all times unless it is absolutely essential to do something that won't run with the VPN on. I've used Mullvad, PIA, and Surfshark. The main reason for using Surfshark is that I got enough money to buy 26 months at a shot, otherwise I'd still be using Mullvad the only one that really has a monthly payment program that's affordable. I have used the free stuff on Proton, but the paid stuff is more expensive and I have more devices. Uh, Surfshark allows unlimited devices and Mulvad only cares that you don't have more than three running at one time.
0: A couple things there. Um, with the emails, it's always good practice to, and I, I didn't include this in mine because I didn't think about it, but it's always good practice to not click a link in an email, especially if it says that it's from your bank. Or if it says it's from a friend you haven't heard from in a while and there's no, nothing else in the body of the message or but a link. If you get <laughs> receive something in Facebook in a message and you click on it and it says for you to log in to Facebook, guess what? It's fake and they're going to steal all your stuff. Well, they're going to steal um, your password and they're going to log in and then they're going to send the same email to all your friends and ads and all that fun jazz. I love the ones that tell me that someone has
3: logged into my Facebook account and I should go log in and see if it's if it was really me or what was going on. And I'm going, I closed my Facebook account three years ago, so that's not
2: very likely. <laughs> or you get all, all kinds of them like that. I get them all the time saying somebody just ordered some huge thing on Amazon. I need to log in. Did you and,
0: just order an Apple iPad?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Nice try, buddy.
3: Your your account has just been dinged for $3000.
2: <laughs>
0: I've recently heard very good things about Molvad from some other podcasters. So,
2: yeah, I have too. I can't remember who that. Is. It was
3: excellent to use. It was easy to use. The app was very good. It was easy to use IPv4 or 6. Uh, and, uh, WireGuard was built in. And so
0: PIA will let you use up to five devices. And if you're paying the yearly on that, then the cost is actually pretty low. The month to month, it goes up a little bit higher.
3: Well, Surfshark is cheaper than PIA and it ha- allows unlimited devices. I could literally give my login to my cousin in Missouri and he could use it for his devices. Uh, anyhow. In terms of passwords, I'm split between letting Firefox or Bitwarden manage my passwords. I know Bitwarden is more secure, but it's not as persistent. The only way to get it to run all the time is to disable a security setting. It's easy to do, but it feels like doing so scuttles the whole idea of using Bitwarden. I keep trying to get Google to stop storing my passwords, but that's an uphill fight. Bitwarden is definitely the way to go. Your passwords are encrypted just for you, and you have the option of self-hosting for free or paying them a whopping $10 per year
2: to host. And that's about all I've got to say. And, oh, by the way, Bitwarden is open source. Yep. And and it is available anywhere. It's a browser extension. It's an app on your phone. uh, And it's an Electron app. I think it's Electron app on the desktop too but uh that I I thoroughly recommend and uh support Bitwarden I too have the $10 a year and we are not accepting advertisement from anyone
3: including Bitwarden so
2: no but I don't mind I don't mind giving credit where it's due I suppose okay you can take it from here Bill right on Okay, so one thing that has been disturbing me more and more lately is a lot of the phishing scams such as the ones we were just talking about where um people are, tr- are being tricked into giving up personal information, you know. Now some of these scams people are being sort of scared into giving up personal information. So, like some scammers will pretend to be the IRS and tell people that they're that they've got a subpoena waiting or something like that. And they're getting ready to be hauled into court and they might end up going to jail and this and that. We just need you to log in here with this information and, uh, and or like we was saying before, uh, something's going on in your Facebook, you need to log in and what these people will do is uh, they'll provide a link and an easy uh, one click, solution to fixing these problems, and a keen eye might be able to pick these things out, but if you send these these scams out to enough people, you're eventually going to get somebody to fall for it because a lot of people don't necessarily understand how these things work. So as an example that happened recently was a, a Facebook post what well, was on the Facebook messenger the wife sent me my wife, my wife sent me a link to an ad uh, for a local jewelry store that was offering a particular ring for a way unbelievable price of $69.99. And when you touch the link, you're taken to a website that looked completely legit. And it looked like it was for the for the jewelry store until you go into the menu and there were some obviously misspelled words as in the menu options. That was my first clue. Um, uh, there was, there was some awkward flow to the website too, but it, you know, the, the, the point is that, you know, it was th- whoever set this up went through the trouble of obtaining a, uh, domain that was close to the name, the domain name for the legitimate business and then setting up the infrastructure to, make a website that looks like a proper place to go and buy stuff. And then you are led to a process that collects your credit card information. And then you are scammed. So how do we, how do we uh, protect ourselves against these things? There's never ever going to be a substitute for learning how to conduct yourself when you are online. The worst folly possible is to believe that just because you're sitting in your house with this machine you are safe in all the things you do it's also not a good idea to just assume because you have antivirus on a windows machine that you're safe in everything you do you have to you have to learn how to conduct yourself when somebody sends you a link in a in some sort of messenger some sort of email and it's got anything to do with anything important well i would argue don't click on links from emails and, uh, messenger, uh, any kind of messenger messages anyway. But, uh, at the very least, right, click on that link and observe the actual URL that that link is taking you to, because in, in most cases, it's almost obvious that the website is something way out there, uh, that's got nothing to do with the legitimate business. In many
3: cases, the link that you see on this, that the name that you see on the screen that is linked, if you hover over it, you'll see it's a completely different name on the website. And yes, and that's an like easy way to tell.
2: Now, that was that was how I picked it out right from the beginning. Um, but arguably, you know, a lot of people might not know to do that. Uh, that's always a good way to know right up front that you're dealing with somebody with nefarious purposes in mind is just to take a look at what, where that link is actually taking you. And in my case, that particular link, just, just to be, just to, uh, for the sake of morbid curiosity, I opened up Firefox in a container image completely siloed off from the rest of my system to take a look and see what this was. And it was just some bogus website trying to collect people's credit card information. So folks, it's very important that you do not click on links that people send you because it's it's the the, the chance that you're going to be taken off somewhere and taken advantage of is just way too high. Another fun one is the job offers that you get. Oh
3: gosh. Uh and it's for an unbelievable salary that you could never possibly be offered uh, in the real world. And they say, well, we're from XYZ Corporation we need someone with your experience and skills and blah, blah, blah. You look at the email. If it's a very unprofessional looking email address and especially if it's not at XYZ.com, you know, depending on what the name of the company is, I'm using XYZ as an example. Great company to work for. Yeah, well, it, if the email company does not match the company name then you're probably dealing with a scammer right
2: there do a little research in a case like that you know look up this company that they say they're representing if their email name is like uh, is a bunch of
3: scrambled letters or if they're using a, an unusual font um you know you pay pay PayPal is not going to send you something from p dot a dot y.p.a.l.com
2: right (laughs) and it it almost always is too some long unintelligible hash of letters numbers and and characters uh, at such as such.com and and you're like yeah nice try buddy but again you know if unless you're in the know you're not gonna you're not gonna know that these things aren't real um yeah in this case, in fact, I actually went to the the legit website and this ring that I was being uh, attempted to be sold for sixty nine dollars was actually a twenty four hundred dollar ring uh so that was that was all the convincing I need so i
0: yeah if it's too good to be true,
2: it probably is oh yeah, it absolutely is, and so i I actually went so far as to report that domain to Google, and Microsoft. I would like to point out another scam. I'm sorry
3: to be butting into you so much, Bill. You're fine. Um, You really have to watch out for romance scams. Yes. Someone writes you and they say, well, uh, I really am into you, and you've never talked to them enough for them to be that into you in the first place. They send you flowers. If you accept the flowers, the odds are those were actually bought using a stolen credit card, if you accept them, you are receiving stolen property and you are as much at guilt as the sender. And then they usually try and say, well, I'm going to send you some stuff. I'd just like you to look it over and then rebox it and ship it onto this other address and that's receiving and distributing stolen property. And they usually stick you with the shipping charges.
2: Well, I'm going to repay you as soon as I get blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it reminds me in the very early days when I very first started even using computers, period. I was using AOL, and I was single at the time. And I remember, I, what did they call it? AOL love or AOL match or something like that. And I had gotten a, an email saying that somebody is interested in talking to you. Log in here. And I hit that link and logged in. Next thing you know, somebody was using my AOL email address to spam people all over the world. And uh, yeah, so that's getting into people's pocketbooks, scaring them with IRS stuff and tricking people by, by the way of the heart. You know, that's, that's all the nefarious means people are going to use to try to rope you into something. Oh, the other fun one is where they send you a check. And
3: uh, it, uh, if you, uh, you're supposed to then turn it into a money order and send them the money order. And, and it turns out that... The check was bad. Yeah, well after the time that you cash the check and sent out the money order, your bank says, well, that was a bad check and you're stuck.
0: Yeah. Well, that happens a lot with, um, you know, if you're selling items online. And so if you're selling a motorcycle and somebody offers to buy it without actually seeing it first... It's probably a scam, and they're going to send you a check for like three times what the uh, value, what you're trying to sell the motorcycle for, and they're like, oh, send me the rest back. That was a mistake on my part. Go ahead and cash the check, send me the rest back in a money order, and then guess what? You're on the hook for everything.
3: Yes, always wait for the thing to clear, but you'll still be stuck with the bounce charges.
2: Wow, I hadn't even thought of that one. That's that's great. So uh, then I wrote down here another uh, another way a potential scammer trick you is by sending email and text messages that appear to be from an online vendor. But we went over that. Yeah, the people that pretend to be Amazon or pretend to be Google, pretend to be eBay, and they'll send you messages saying, hey, you've got this problem with your account. Uh, click here to log in and fix this problem. And that's not how any of those businesses operate.
0: I'm also going to say that Microsoft support is never going to call you. <laughs> now, that that sounds like something that everybody should know, but evidently it's not. Let me say it again: Microsoft support is never going to call you.
2: Yeah, I think I think none of these people are, are ever going to call you. They uh, they they are well aware that that is,
3: and your bank is never going to call you. They will tell you that Uh, they, if they do call you, they will tell you what your access stuff is, not ask you what it is.
0: If your bank ever calls you, and I've had this happen before when my bank actually called me because there was an actual problem, you say, okay, tell me about the problem, but I'm not going to provide you any information. I'm going to call my bank and try and get put through to you. So give me your extension.
2: I get irritated at my bank that sends emails, and then they'll they'll send a link in that email. Yeah,
0: I'm not clicking that link. Yeah, no, never. I'll log into my bank and see if they sent me a message there. And if they sent me a message there, then I know.
2: Uh, moving on. Uh, so, yeah, passwords, people, we talked briefly about passwords, password managers, and how important they are. It's It's important to also understand that in terms of security, passwords are a perishable layer of security the longer you do not the, the longer you keep the same password the less entropy it has uh you will or more entropy it has less more whatever uh you have to yeah a the good, more vulnerable it is the more vulnerable there you go um it's good practice to Create a rotation in your passwords. Bitwarden will actually remind you to do things like this. It's written right in. Um, it's great. I'm, I'm probably as guilty as anyone else of letting passwords go way too long. Um, but it's, it's good to keep them. I, I would say at least eight characters long and unreadable. Uh, because any password if you if you make passwords out of dictionary words you're you're hacked the second you made that password because any um any password a human being can remember a computer can crack in seconds i have
3: heard that you can string words together and as long as they're not related
2: words that that still makes a more secure password. I suppose you you have to weigh. I mean, if you if you're not using a password manager, I mean, setting setting aside the argument that you should, but if you're not using one, I suppose stringing some words together and throwing in a few rememberable. Uh,
0: I've heard security experts actually say to use like a sentence, except to put <laughs> leet into it, leet speak. So. So you're using characters and numbers and things like that, and then you're just using a phrase that you're going to remember, but it's not going to be easily crackable because you're doing things like taking out spaces and replacing E's with threes and et cetera, et cetera.
2: And I would argue if you're doing something like that, it, it, it's even more important that you rotate your passwords.
1: Or, but let's uh, you know, isn't let's uh, universally recognizable to an extent that it might be not as uh, effective as like doing something more random.
0: Yeah, something more random is obviously going to be more secure, but it also depends. Um, If you're using something random, then you really need to use something like a password manager. But if you're not planning on using a password manager, the next best thing is to use a phrase or a sentence, a series of words, and then have replacements for some of the characters.
3: I would like to put in a statement about password managers other than Bitwarden. Many of them have been hacked. Many of them have been found to not even use hashtags for your password protection. And you have plain text passwords sitting out there. B- Bitwarden encrypts everything, and they can't read your passwords. And they hire people to try to hack them, too. And they have been audited, and everything has gone through. It doesn't matter. Maybe you like LastPass. Maybe you like something else. Uh, They have been hacked. Bitwarden has not.
2: So, in other words, what we're trying to say is we like Bitwarden. (laughs) The check is in the mail, guys. Oh, man. If only uh okay so there there's many services out there that claim to give you some layer of security online and I would say that they're they're well meaning um but there's never as i said before there's never going to be a good su- substitute for an individual learning the risks as well as how to protect protect and conduct his her they their self uh I think we've all grown, well, perhaps not all of us, but enough people have grown a little too accustomed to service providers offering a layer of protection between them and the internet. And I I think people should probably pay more attention to what they're doing. Uh, Those of us that came from the early days of Windows can remember that antivirus culture that companies like Norton and McAfee ushered in. Uh, These services were valuable, but... Um, I believe the unfortunate side effect is that people pay less attention to what they do online. And that's, uh, that's unfortunately probably the case to this day. Know exactly who you're interacting with and where you are online. What I mean by where you are, know that the, the web page that you went to the URL that you, that you went to is the actual business that you are wanting to do business with. Uh, and always, always, always avoid the temptation to just follow a link, uh, to some page somebody wants you to see. At least, at least examine the link for what it really is. Uh, and maybe copy and paste that link into the, title bar instead of just get it get in the habit of doing things like that and then you'll be in the habit of uh paying better attention to what you're doing it just takes a little attention to detail and you can experience all the benefits of doing business online safely and and largely without incident so that's it for me how about you joe
0: For me, despite being a little paranoid, um, I I still take a pretty laid-back approach to security Um, in in comparison to a lot of people. I I, I make sure that every account that I have that offers two-factor authentication has it set up, and I suggest that everyone does this with all accounts that matter to them. Two-factor authentication is not perfect, but I I know you've heard me say this before, and I'm just going to keep reiterating a lot of things when it comes to security because that seems to be what's needed but if you're not the low-hanging fruit, then you're not the target. So two-factor helps with that. Now, if you are a specific target, then yes, there are ways to hack past two-factor. Um, You saw that recently with um the crypto.com hack. They got completely around that, but that was bad implementation as opposed to like someone stealing your cell phone number in order to be able to get your two factor authentication. That still does happen, but a lot of cell phone companies have adjusted their practices so that it's less common. Now a password generator and management system is a single point of failure, but it's also very useful for making and keeping less hackable passwords in the end. If someone throws enough processing power at cracking your password, they probably can. There are ways to prevent that, but, um, not everybody implements those. Um, so what I mean by a single point of failure is, um, if you forget the password to your password generator, or if the company that creates that goes out of business, et cetera, et cetera, then all of your passwords are gone and you're not memorizing them because they're completely indecipherable. But, um, most important I would say is a VPN of some kind. Um, now I've said this before as well, but a VPN is just playing past the trust. But, um, if it is one that you, even if it is just one you set up at home, that's passing the trust to your home network. Um, it, but it's still a good thing to have. It does not need to be paid for. It can be roll your own. Um, it, it's important if you're planning to get on any, uh, public wifi or public network or any network outside of your own control. You don't know what kind of encryption or security they're using uh, and what kind of access other people on that network have. It will protect you from a lot of common attacks. It will prevent the simple things and encrypt your packets so that no one can just reach out and grab them. Yeah, YubiKey. YubiKey is good for two-factor authentication. Thank you, Moss. Another thing that I suggest is some kind of ad blocker. And now a lot of the ads that can come up are, are scam type ads. I know you've seen them and it says something's on your computer. Click here to fix And a, a good ad blocker will prevent that. I, I use both a local blocker in the form of uBlock origin and a network wide one in the form of a pie hole. Um, this can reduce the amount of network usage that you get and also increase speeds plus ads can be extremely annoying i've seen paid pages that just look like a splattered mess when you don't have an ad blocker. And then you add an ad blocker in and you're simply getting the data that you came into that website to look for anyway. Um, now some less security oriented and more like prosumer type of things. Own your own modem. Um, some carriers can make this difficult and will not provide support for it, but you can save money on a month to month basis by owning your own modem. Um, instead of leasing from the uh, provider uh, as an extension to this i also suggest not getting a modem router wi-fi router combo have a separate router wi-fi router uh, that way if your modem goes bad you still have internal networking and if your router goes bad you can do a quick replacement and get back up and running quickly um, if you have the router modem combo and it goes bad then you lose everything and you have no networking available uh The other thing about this is if you have your own modem and you have the ability to adjust the settings within it is you can do things like set your DNS. So your um provider is not collecting as much information about you. Granted, um they still know everything that you're doing, which is another reason to use a VPN at home if you need to. But once again, that's just passing the trust to the VPN provider, which is why it's good to have a VPN provider that is known for not doing logging, which is why I like PIA because it hasn't been proven that even after they changed ownership that they're doing any kind of logging. How can we be absolutely sure of that? Well, I don't know now that they're not doing logging, but in the past, before the new ownership came in, there were actual uh, court cases where they went to PIA and said, give us the logs of this person's activity with a subpoena. And PIA came back and said, we can't do that. We would if we could, but we don't log. Yes, but uh, currently. Currently. Do we have any proof? I, 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 can't, I can't prove the whole negative thing. So until, and I'm going to trust them until proven otherwise.
2: Well, you can look for court cases where they've been subpoenaed. Uh, Recently. Yeah, where they've been subpoenaed to release log information. And if they just flat out didn't do it, then
3: another thing is they say to look for a VPN that is hosted in a non five eyes or 12 eyes or however many eyes country. And they say, well, these people are in Panama and they're not part of it. And then you look at who's controlling Panama and the, the country is almost completely controlled by the CIA, so I wouldn't trust Panama.
0: <laughs> now, something even less security related and more just prosumer and, and pro tip is have your home directory on a separate partition from your OS, if not a completely separate hard drive. This makes nuke and paves much easier when it comes to recovering from something catastrophic. Um, even if you decide not to use the old home partition, at least the data will still be there for you to recover into your new home partition. And that can also lead into a conversation about encrypting just your home partition or just your, um, slash home directory. And as long as you know, you keep the password for that somewhere safe then you can recover that and the next time you uh do a complete new pave. an
3: alternative to that is what i do which is uh you you know what programs you have those go on your home partition but you keep your app data your spreadsheets and documents and everything on an external
0: yeah and uh, n- another thing that um i i've seen recommended is keeping your home partition on uh, a USB flash drive, encrypted or not. That way you can take your home partition with you. And if you set up on another computer, you just plug it in and you point it to the home and you're good to go. And then basically you can take everything you do, your entire setup, wherever you go, to any machine that
1: you use. And yeah, that's really all I have. I did something similar when I was experimenting with running a distro off of a external USB SSD, where there was a data partition that I was normally using just for moving files between computers and storing files there. But when I created a root partition on the same on the same external drive, I just decided to use the data partition as if it was the home partition for that system, and it it works seamlessly. But yeah, um, security-wise. I've never used a password manager and I don't really plan on using one in the future either. I've been developing my way of uh, coming up with passwords that are, that are at least in my opinion easy for me to remember, but still not, not very easy to. To crack, I'm not going to detail my method because I that would obviously make it less secure. If... Oh, tell us about
3: it, Norbert. We want to know.
1: <laughs> well, one part I can tell is that there were cases when I even incorporated made-up words in my passwords that I think don't appear in any dictionary of any word because I came up with because I came up with them.
0: One method that I used to use for generating passwords is I go grab a book and any book on my bookshelf, open it up to a random page, find the largest word on that page, use the first half of that word, open it up to a different page, find the largest word there and uh, use the second half of that word. And then whatever page I ended up on or flip to another page and then put that in the middle, except instead of, you know, the numbers, I use the characters. And so half caps, Half characters and then flip to another page and get the numbers at the end and completely random password.
1: Yes, but it's still not very easy to remember, depending on the word. Yeah. Sometimes I base my passwords on in a way that I can associate them vaguely, very vaguely with the service I'm signing up for or even something that has been going on in my life when I created that account. So. Yeah, I there, there are passwords that I do replace regularly, and those tend to be my longest passwords, and uh, I'm still able to remember them fairly well. But yeah, there was one instance when, around 2006, so many, many years ago, one of my classmates accidentally mispronounced the word in a very interesting way. And that was a word that I'm sure, that mispronunciation, I'm sure he was... He even forgot about that, uh, maybe the day after. But I still remember it to this day, and uh, at some point I incorporated it into one of my passwords. So, yeah, making up words or join, or combining and uh, modifying words that exist, but in a very elaborate way. This is something similar to the method that you mentioned, that uh, you could use sentences. Something like that. I'd, sometimes I do use sentences, but those sentences tend to tend to be very... Peculiarly worded, I should say. Sometimes I overdo it and I don't, I'm not able to remember them, but mostly I do. And I think uh, I, and because you mentioned that uh, a password manager is a single point of failure, I'm not really planning on using one in the future. So I'm happy with my method. As for, as for malware and viruses, I'm using both Windows and Linux, but I share the mentality that the best antivirus is common sense. So even on Windows, I haven't used any paid-for uh, antivirus in years. I just use Windows Defender. And I also recently started using uh, Malwarebytes, their free uh, edition, which, allows you, which lets you scan your drives.
0: My my security on Windows is a little bit different since I do have that one partition on my laptop that is a Windows partition. It's um I don't put anything that I care about on there other than my Steam account. And if it does magically end up with a virus somehow, which should be impossible since I don't even like open up a browser with it, um, <clears throat> I'm quite willing to nuke it and start over.
1: So yeah, for me, when I suspect I might have a virus, I just I just do a scan with Malwarebytes, but, but other than that, I'm just relying on common sense and the Windows Defender. On the Linux side of things, I tried to use A V at one point, but since uh, there are way less malware out there for Linux. And now years later when I'm using Linux, I recently heard about a virus or, mal- or malware that uh, mines crypto for your idle and you're not at, the, at your computer. And when it detects that you're back at your computer, it stops any activity and it hides behind uh, Windows services. So you are not able to detect it. And when you're using, it's not using resources. So it's pretty good at hiding. So Well,
0: now you can have Norton do that for you.
1: Yep, <laughs> yeah.
0: But they take fifteen percent, which is pretty bad.
1: A little more than a year ago, I bought my laptop, and I I wanted to do about Windows Linux on it as well. But I realized I didn't really have any use for Windows, so I just never use Windows on it. As for browsing, this is this is more privacy and not as much security stuff. But of course, you don't really have to worry about attackers; you have to worry about uh, the companies that use your data. So now I generally now tend to use two web browsers at a time. Uh, I've been using Brave and LibreWolf, but now I moved to Firefox and LibreWolf. And LibreWolf is a more security oriented version of Firefox. So by default, it doesn't even remember uh, history, which I turned off uh, because it's, uh, I didn't really want uh, a browser to be fully incognito. Because if I wanted, I just open an incognito tab, uh, but it's supposed to have less tracking. And LibreWolf also has the Firefox container tabs implemented by default as well as uBlock Origin. So on my Daily driver Firefox. I don't really seek out actively any sort of uh, ad blocking, but uh, I think Firefox might have some leglet like by default, considering that I don't see as many ads as I see that I did when I was using Chrome. But still, Firefox also now has that uh, super cookie blocking feature. And as much as uh, Firefox and Mozilla had some, made some bad decisions lately and had some bad media coverage, I would still keep using Firefox and going back to Chrome any day. I would even use Firefox uh, before Chromium. Maybe Angle Chromium would be a more security oriented option, but on Chromium you don't, you cannot uh, sync your bookmarks anymore. I decided to go to Firefox to see if it, if I have any problem. And if I have any problem, I might go to, I might go back to something Chromium based. So far, I haven't really had any major problems. There was a weird issue when I wasn't able to download files from Google Drive, but it seems to have resolved itself somehow. I also started using DuckDuckGo alongside Google, but uh, some, but I still tend to go to Google just for convenience when I want to have better results. But there were cases, for example, I, I tend to bring up uh, medical issue as an example. So when someone wants to search for a medical issue or, a, or some medicine, that's not really Google's business or even your ISP's business, whether you whether you visit a website that is like uh, associated with a disease or illness, or you look up a specific medicine or treatment method. So when I had to look up a specific illness last year, I just turned on, I was on my phone, I turned on my VPN and I opened it at the Go browser and I did it there. And it was, it had perfectly reasonable results, I think.
0: That that's uh, if I have some medical related question, I always use my um, virtual machine, which has the dedicated VPN on it, so that traffic can only go through the VPN. And I, I know we did a whole show on my setup for that one, but um, it's extremely useful for things like that.
2: Pro tip too: when you're using uh, DuckDuckGo, prepend your search with "bang g." And uh, it will give you anonymized Google results.
1: But well, I tried it, and it just redirected me to, to the Google.
2: It's Google, but it's not signed in, so it's there's no way to... It's not associating your search with your account. But
1: it redirected me to Google.com itself.
2: Right, but it's not signed in, though. I'm going to try that now. Unless you have another tab open where you are signed into Google. Yeah, don't do that.
1: Okay, I'm just going to... Try this now. Well, uh, so I'm a go. Well, right now you are signed into Google. That's because you're using Google Docs. Even if I'm not signed into Google, I can just go to Google and it will be the same as the Gbank, no? Because it still goes to Google.com and Google can still see my IP address. Uh,
2: I suppose, yeah.
1: Yeah. But there are those uh, search aggregators. For I'm not sure what, like start Page, I think is one of them. That Yes. Fetch, uh, and there's there's even one, I think, Sarx is its name that you can self-host.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. I got to say, DuckDuckGo has gotten pretty good in recent
3: years. They are working on their own browser right now. They have it for uh, Android and iOS, but they are working on one for uh, Linux and uh, Windows. It's based on
2: Chromium, though.
3: It is based on Chromium, but it still has their own searching. Yeah, I just... I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just use Firefox. Yeah, I don't use any Chromium things either. I don't care how privacy
0: based they claim to be. Isn't Firefox making Google their primary search engine
1: now? No, Firefox is. Uh, it, that was a Linux Mint thing. Firefox Office had Google as their default I think, but Linux Mint was changing it to Yahoo. But they have to. But now they have to have Mint, uh, Google as well. Right.
3: Yeah, their default will be Google, but you can still change it.
1: Garuda. When I tried Garuda, Garuda uses the Firebird web browser, which is a fork of LibreWolf. And when I tried it, I think their default search engine was their own self-hosted instance of Cirks. And now I looked it up and it's org. So that circs as an dot org. And I don't I see no reason why it wouldn't be usable on any other system.
0: Okay. Um just a couple of things I wanna add here. Um, not necessarily to your stuff, Norbert, but in general, if our listeners, if you're out there and you have listened to these topics and you want us to do a deep dive on any specific topics, please send us an email, mincast at mincast.org. And we will do a show dedicated to whatever topic gets the most uh, requests for us to deep dive on.
3: Hey, we'll probably do a show on anything that gets requested.
0: (laughs) Yeah, honestly. But um, also, uh, because of the changes at Google, eventually our email is going to have to change. I think it's by like June or something like that, because we're not going to be paying uh, $6 per month per host for something that, you know, we don't get paid for. So I don't know what the email is going to end up being, but it will be changing eventually. So use it while you can. Well, I would say that we're moving on to vibrations from the ether, but we did not receive any emails. So let's move on to check this out.
1: I just remember that I created a a chart, a diagram a few weeks ago, because there's that very big chart online about every Linux distribution that ever existed, and their relation, and which was forked from that, and which is based on which one, and wherever they merged. But I wanted to have a list of only those distributions that are still active today, to see how long they have been around. And only those distributions that are considered independent in the sense that they don't pull their packages from another distribution upstream from them. So they don't have any distro upstream from them. So for example, Fedora is independent because they package everything themselves and those packages go down to Red Hat. So in that sense, Red Hat is based on Fedora and uh, I created this chart and uh, you will find the link in the in the show notes. I find it very interesting. Uh, So of course on the top there's Slackware and Debian which have been around since 1993. And uh, the most recent one that I could find that is intended for desktop usage, which I only included those that are intended for desktop usage, not uh, specific stuff like uh, IOT devices. And the most recent one that I could find is Solus which was started in 2014. So the actual independent Solus.
3: So you haven't added Serpent
2: OS yet.
1: Oh, I mean, SerpentOS isn't out yet.
2: Yeah, I I don't think you can get an ISO
0: for that yet. Okay, and moving on to our announcements. (music) Our next episode will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on February 6th, 2022. And we have a link in the show notes for converting that to your time zone. And our next... Live stream will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on January the 29th, 2022. Link for that as well. Now, on to the wrap-up. I'm Joe, and if you want to listen to some of my other podcasts, I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, and you can get that at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which is at linuxlugcast.com. You can find me on MeWe, you can send me an email, jb at minkcast.org, or you can follow the link in the show notes and buy me a coffee. Moss?
3: Okay, I'm on Full Circle Weekly News, Distro Hoppers Digest, there are links. I My other contact information can be found on itsmoss.com, and my email is bardmoss at pm.me.
0: And Josh Hawk, who wasn't able to make it onto the show today, you can send him an email, joshontech at org, at joshontech on Twitter, and most other social sites. Or you can listen to him on his other podcast, Crowbar Colonel Panic. Norbert?
1: You can send me an email at norbert at minkcast.org.
0: And then there's the other, 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 other Josh, Um, You can send him emails, jt at minkcast.org, Josh Thacker on Discord, and at Metal underscore Foss on Twitter. Nishant was also not able to make the show today. You can send him emails, nishant at minkcast.org, Recon Ghost on Instagram, Recon Ghost at GitHub, Ghost.Recon on Discord, Maverick00783 at Steam. Bill, how about you?
2: Well, for the time being, uh, you can email me at Bill at Mintcast.org. I'm Bill underscore H on Discord. Uh, At WC Hauser 3
0: on Twitter. And I'm even WC Hauser 3 on that there Facebook. Okay, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Norbert for our audio editing, Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, Hobstar for our logo, InitRD for the animated Discord logo, and Londoner for our time sync. ByteMark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our backup mumble server, Archive.org for hosting our audio files, and the Linux Mint development team for the distro we love to talk about.
2: Thanks, Sam.
0: This has been another episode of the MintCast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both MintCast and Linux Mint on Twitter at MintCast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco podcast themes.com for our theme music and thanks for listening to this episode of the